Lola, when she was yeah. at Lola. That's yeah. right. And she said this quote, and you might ask. She's awesome. Shout out it. to Jean. Yeah, she she really transformed my view, which was she said, you know, I don't get she was talking about how salespeople reach out to her as a CMO. And she said something. She said, I don't get sold, I buy. Hey there, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for Demo Diaries. Today, I'm joined by Gi Ray Jang, who is Sales Development Manager at Capsule 8. Gi Ray, how are you? I'm doing great. Living the dream. How about yourself? You know, I, I can't complain. I'm in Florida. I know, like, uh, you know, I, I, we always talk about where we're at, especially now. I think it's so unique, right? Because yeah, you're, you know, you're always on Zoom, right? Yeah, Absolutely. for sure. Thank you for having me here. Very excited. This is very top of mind for me, the industry. And just thank you for having me on this uh, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't you tell folks a little bit about your career background? How'd you end up getting into sales development? Yeah, so I'm a, I grew up in the Bay Area, grew up in the heart of Silicon Valley, grew up down the street from Apple and didn't really know what that really meant, right? And, uh, you know, one story I always tell is, you know, this guy named Anthony, his dad was this like our soccer coach, like this dweeb, and we always made fun of him. You know, fast forward five, 10 years later, you realize no big deal, former VP of engineering at VMware, right? And it's like just growing up in that, um, you, you don't, you know, just growing up in that atmosphere, you don't really think about the ramifications of tech, and especially when you're younger. Uh, but really, I, my background is growing up there, I think I got kind of fed up and sick of kind of everyone wanting to do the startup thing, right? Oh, I got the next Uber of this and the Instagram of that and mm -hmm. kind of saying, hey, look, let's can we just do something about it and, and build something, right? And so from there, I studied philosophy. And no way. Uh, in studying philosophy, I think um, what, I, what I really learned is um, how to get one layer deeper um, mm -hmm. and ask the why question, right? But kind of my sales career took off when, you know, having studied philosophy, I studied philosophy for grad school as well. And what I was trying to do was, you know, long story short, is I was trying to go into the VC private equity world mm -hmm. or become like an analyst for Gartner because I, I think the research and the data was really compelling to me. But something I realized was as much as I love data, I love engaging with people. And, and quite frankly, I, you know, being responsible and growing up and having to pay the bills, like, you know, wanted to make some money. And so I got drawn to sales. I tried to run away from sales, actually, for a very long time. Uh, but, um, you know, internal and external Kind of calling and validation led me to getting into my first role um, in the IoT and machine to machine space. Then I went to another company where really grew in my uh, sales career, SaaS career, if you will, in the Martech space in the ABM platform world with a company called MRP. Mm -hmm. And that's really where I learned a lot about the buyer journey. You know, we sold the CMOs. You know, my boss at one point was the CMO. So there was a little bit of inception there and just learned a lot about the buyer journey. From there, you know, that's where I really grew from my passion for sales development because having front, front row seats to some of the biggest revenue engines, I saw that theme of sales development picking up and I kind of bit the bullet and kind of left being an individual contributor to go into management, uh, built the um, SDR team from scratch at Frontline Education. Um, and now I'm doing it here at Capsule 8. So that's the very short version of how I got, you know, my, my sales career and how I got the sales development. Amazing. By the way, your energy is infectious. I'm like super excited. Right now. <laughs> I was like lagging. It's like five o'clock in the afternoon here <laughs> in Miami. And I'm like, oh gosh, 
you know, <laughs> I got to eat something. But uh, then you, ju- I jump on with you and I'm. I got you, Jorge, anytime. You. We go. Let's I go. I appreciate <laughs> it. I'm going to need you for my pump up calls in the morning. Yes. Yes. <laughs> nice. Well, you know, we, we were chatting a little bit in the green room right beforehand about this new buyer motion, right? And, and sales motion that needs to map that. You know, how do you, I guess when, if you were to think about how sales development organizations should really be able to leverage this new product-led growth movement, like uh, what would those kind of uh, tips or strategies or advice be? Yeah. So, you know, this is, this is what caught my attention, right? I think, um, you know, just a lot of conversation going on. PLGs, you know, it's been around, right? I mean, look at B2C um, and then, you know, for a lot of us B2B folks, we see, the likes of, you know, Slack and Atlassian kind of paving the way. And it's been, it's not like this new thing, but I think to operationalize it, to make it accessible to a broader range of SaaS company, it's fairly newer, right? Uh, especially in the SDR world, I think um, there's not too many um, SDR leaders that um, I know where I've bumped into that have a fairly traditional or robust sales development team, right? Whether it's inbound and outbound, but also um, have it, through PLG. So I think it's fairly new, right? It's like a newer topic that's coming up. And so with that, I think there's a couple of tenants that we've been chewing on and talking through, right? And I was, I was going to share a couple of those tenants, right? Uh, one, let the buyer buy. Uh, one of the, my most influential podcasts that I watched was, um, I think it was something with Sales Hacker with Scott Barker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Barker, but the Sales yeah. Hacker, it was Gene shout Hopkins. Out to Scott. He was the, good shout, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great content. And Love you, Gene Scott. Hopkins, Holler at me. Yes. And, and it was uh, Jean Hopkins, former CMO of, um, I think at the time she was, you know what? She was at a Boston startup. But anyways, the yeah. content was around the buyer journey. And a yes. quote she said changed my, Lola, changed my career. Lola, when she was yeah. at Lola. That's yeah. right. And she said this quote, and you might ask. She's awesome. Shout out it. to Jean. Yeah, she, she really transformed my view, which was, she said, you know, I don't get, she was talking about how salespeople reach out to her as a CMO. And she said something. She said, I don't get sold, I buy. And that simple sentence like click for me and really transform my view of the buyer journey, right? So I think it just shows you like, I always tell my SDRs, we sell into a, we sell into security, they're fairly technical personas. I tell them they're just a little bit smarter than you about when it comes to security, right? A little bit of banter just to go, listen, they know what they're doing. So you need to align to their buyer journey, right? You need to understand whether they're in the front, uh, they have no idea, they have no problem, or they are on the verge of, you know, submitting an RFP. You got to figure out where they are in the buyer journey and engage them with, you know, and we'll talk about value a little bit later, but kind of, um, adding value accordingly, right? A uh, couple of other things that we think through is, you know, reduce or eliminate that friction, right? I mean, we read about this on LinkedIn all the time. And quite frankly, it's been looking at the mirror for me um, in going demo request. SDR starts talking as, you know, plays 10,000 questions with the prospect. And then it's a 30 minute disco and then an hour demo. Um, I, I, I don't think I'm going to take the time to talk about solutions and thoughts there, but really we need to, we need to like reduce that, right? We need to make it easy. We need to make it accessible and easy for the buyer to buy. Um, uh, the next thing I would say is be human and, and, and pattern disrupt, right? Um, it's, it's cliche, but it, you know, be yourself in the buyer journey, right? How are you going to stick out? Are you going to look like every other vendor that's, you know, trying to uh, get someone's attention with features and products or, you know, are you trying to do things a little bit different, be, be, be a little bit, you know, stick out. And then obviously ultimately position the value of what problem you're seeking to solve, right? And the impact you're trying to have. And then finally, um, I was going to mention adding value and 
we talk about this all the time, but I truly believe that every engagement should be um, of, of value. Don't don't make it about you. I think I always said before you send an email or make a phone call. Is it about you or is it about them? Of course, we have our quotas and logical next steps that we need to achieve. But quite frankly, let's let's really make it about them and the buyer journey. So I really think that all those points that I just mentioned, they kind of work hand in hand and it's a bit of a feedback loop. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've been hearing lately, it was uh, very interesting regarding the uh, buyer's journey is, you know, this is not about be using our legacy old school sales process where we got to control the experience, right? Like that's old school. And I kept thinking to myself earlier today, actually, I was like, why do we, why do we do that? Why do we want control? And I, and I kept thinking and thinking, and then I was like, well, I remember that when, particularly when I was doing, like I was selling door to door, I always bring it up basically every, every episode, because it's so easy also to sort of conceptualize door to door uh, for anyone. But I remember if I didn't control a variable in the room or on the porch, when I was selling to people, if I didn't control the experience, then it made me very, very nervous. And I didn't know why I lost the deal, right? I couldn't point to something and go, okay, well, you know, uh, I was selling to dad and mom came in and killed it, right? Because she didn't even know what the hell I was doing. She just knew that some strangers on her porch or on her couch, right? And would come in and be like, kick me out and, and screw up the deal. You know, that's an example, right? So I always, I always like, was like, okay, well, if it doesn't follow this, you know, process or this talk track, and if I didn't sell like this, then, uh, then I wasn't really maximizing my, my chances of success. So I think that a lot of us, we, we sort of like need to control the entire experience. And if we show, we felt like if we showed the product early on without being like, without doing a lot of discovery, without controlling all the steps, then we can kind of blow it if they don't get it right. If they don't understand it. And, uh, and I remember that any time that I would do that, not any, not every time, but, you know, we were taught. And then certainly I remember times where, um, you know, I would go in, I'd get really nervous. And then I'd just show them what I was doing. I was selling these like big encyclopedia looking books and they had no idea if I just show them this book, first of all, it was a like 20, you know, book series. Right. So like me showing them a little book, which was my demo, which was essentially my demo book that had pages of, of, uh, from each volume consolidated that, you know, they wouldn't really get the good, uh, good sense of what the product was. Right. So I had to kind of follow what I thought I had to follow a specific sort of pattern. Now, here's the thing. It's very different, right. Than what we have now, where we have all these tools to be able to understand a lot of context and understand personas. I was just walking in completely cold. All I knew was "Hmm, they, they have a Mercedes, you know, they have a nice house. Okay. Well, (laughs) maybe they'll be able to buy this book. Right. Like those were essentially, Oh, you know, maybe I would do some research on the school district because these were for, for their kids. Right. That kind of stuff. Like, so that was about it. I didn't really have the, en- enough insight into the buyer like we right. do going in. Right. So I think that our situation is a little different. We don't necessarily have to control that, that the, you know, that engagement in the same way. So like 
allow folks to get into your product, allow them to kick the tires on it, allow them to, to under, to show you who is the influencer in within the organization, who is that champion and the data will show you. I was chatting with a sales leader at Asana years ago. I probably brought this up a couple of times, but I think it maps really well to this conversation. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me, you know what? Dude, like we don't actually do any cold calling at that time. I think it's quite different now. They've sort of expanded what they do. Uh, but we, at the time, and, and mind you, this is probably, I don't know, 2013 right. or something. And he's like, yeah, you know, we, uh, we just wait to understand uh, who's, who within these accounts are inviting the most people and who's using it. And then we'll be able to identify, oh, okay, that's the champion, right? That's the person who's inviting all of his or her colleagues and then starting to get that account uh, rocking and rolling. And then they would come in and start to identify the various people. So like, as opposed to in the past, we would just create an account map and say, well, these titles are the, are typically going to be the the champions you know based on title that's no longer the case with product led right and generally in an organization anyways right so any thoughts around that yeah so many thoughts there thank you for sharing that i had had a lot of different thoughts and i think the one that kept sticking out was you're right like when you're first of all shout out to all the door-to-door folks out there like that is how you grind that is how (laughs) you learn and face rejection and you know, a lot of SDRs these days don't have that experience. And just a big shout out to that. So one thing I noticed though, was like, there's that fallacy of if you do more and talk more and more about the products and pitch, 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 and, and think that you have control, there's this fallacy in folks' minds that that equates to I'm doing my job or I'm ultimately moving the sales cycle along. And that's just not the case. Right. And I think, um, to tie it back to like the sales development world, it's, it's, you know, we talk about this often. It's let's stop micromanaging on the tasks. Like to us at our, at on our SDR team, uh, we really see QBCs converse or qualified business conversations, like talking to the right people and learning something about them, like a legitimate call, not with the gatekeeper. Uh, those are our North stars. Like as much as meeting said and pipeline is great. That's how we lead teams. Cause that really you know, forces SDRs to think about it strategically and not just spew things out for the sake of spewing things out, right? And I think to your point full circle, you know, with product led, I mean, ultimately for a company to position its value, sometimes like just just shut up, like let them see it for themselves. And quite frankly, like position the value that you have to bring through storytelling and, and some of the data that you're able to like send that's not just readily available on the web and, and be able to, to do that. But there's something really, um, I think there's some, there's a reality that the sense of control and just throwing more stuff on the wall to see what sticks equates I'm doing my job. And I think, um, yeah, we're progressing. I think what, what you and I both are talking about is, you know, we have that data now. We know what to do. Now let's, let's together collectively, like, let's do it, right? So yeah, yeah yes and amen. I'm totally with you. Yeah. yeah, let's map it with firmographic. Let's map it with technographic. So, you, you know, we used to do these ICP trainings years ago when yeah. the whole term came out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was myself, Max Altschuler at Sales Hacker and a couple other folks, nice. Jason Vargas, the data nice. You know, they were, nice. Jason was yeah, yeah. data nice doing the data stuff. Um, so, you know, we were doing this thing on ICP. And I remember sitting there and mapping out like these, essentially these columns, right? Column one was, you know, as 
thinking about the firmographic data that we've had for a while. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Column two, uh, psychological data too. Like, mm -hmm. you know, what could they, what are the possibilities that they could mm -hmm. uh, want or be achieving uh, or wanting to achieve within their role? Like a promotion or how could we use them, achieve, or you, how could we help them rather achieve those goals? That's more of a psychological sort of more qualitative right. component. Techno technographic, which of course data and I was, was, uh, was really good around, right? What is their sales stack, et cetera? What is their tech ecosystem kind of look like internally? And then now we have, well, what's the product usage? And of course we, we didn't have that back then, right? Uh, or many folks didn't, only the most, I think, progressive folks uh, right. at that time were sort of, you know, toying with that. And certainly or other organizations, you know, Slack wasn't, I don't even think Slack was around back then. Or maybe they were still gaming. Company. It was probably just the internal internal tool, right? That's how they started, if I remember yeah, correctly. Slack exactly. was just something that that team used internally. Yeah. But I think the Elassian folks with Jira and some of their other tools yeah. were like totally product led. But those were sort of anomalies, right? And okay. so if we think about you know being able to determine that ICP, figure out those qualifiers now as an SDR. Like now we add that product data into the equation and now we just really get a, a much more real sort of view on, on whether a, a lead is qualified or not. Speaking of which, I know your team focuses on qualifying and appointment yeah. setting and then yeah. they'll do discovery and then hand it off to the AEs, correct? That's kind of your workflow right now. Sure. What are yep. some of the kind of like attributes that you'll have them look into to be able to collect all this data and then hand it off in a meaningful way to the AE so they can do like a great demo for the prospect. Yeah, that's a, that's a, so I'm going to answer it with, with two ways, right? One, I'm going to get to the point of like, you're kind of asking, you know, in the handoff process, what data do we send to AEs, right? Mm -hmm. I think one step backwards of our kind of, even enablement in our ICP exercise. Like I love what you just said about really creating that. So um, we, in our enablement uh, program, we have a very big emphasis. We, we basically take like most, um, most companies do, uh, we look at all of our customers, I put them actually, we hadn't done this exercise with Series B startup. So we got, I got all of our customers on a spreadsheet. I pulled up every single close one and close lost opportunity record. And I actually extracted all of the medic notes that the field reps had put in for, you know, are they closed? And specifically I pulled that persona, um, you know, uh, the, the, the metrics that they cared about this, uh, to kind of move forward, um, as well as uh, what pain point they had, um, and then you know um, some competitor intel. And so what I have in my enablement is it's it's ongoing. I kind of have that be kind of like their bible. So it's not a you know first week you read it, you're constantly constantly reading it. And the reason why is because that's the value you bring to prospects. What value is not is. Um, spitting out information about your products and features. Like they don't need that from you. They could find that all on the internet, right? But some of these stories, some of these ad hoc stuff that you hear from CS, some of the things that you see from implementation that of course that we're okay to share, um, that's value telling that story. You know, just as an example, if a company has uh, some kind of issue that they need to address or they had X, Y, and Z that we're able to share, 
um, to position that story to talk about the current state of where they were and the future state is so much more valuable than just spitting out feature facts, right? So they're constantly reading what pain we solved, what metrics they cared about, et cetera, so that they are equipped. And what does that do twofold? It instills confidence in SDRs to talk to them because they're kind of the ones that know how to communicate that really, really well, right? So there's that. Um, second, we... Um, we we do we're 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 an account based motion here for go to market and so what 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 we're building here is kind of um, you know account based scoring and really without going into this whole realm we're trying to gather first party data third party data which includes CRM marketing automation intent data webinar event like all the different data points from inside and outside our firewall and consolidate it onto one account. Right. So if we're, uh, for instance, we're, we're doing an exercise in targeting Peloton and uh, the way that we secure a lot of um, our production systems for our customers is um, um, availability. So imagine if we're on Zoom and it starts breaking up a little bit. Right. Uh, we're probably going to consider, I don't know, like WebEx or something like that because the service isn't good. Um, we're, we're helping some of the biggest companies secure that without impacting their availability. Mm -hmm. So when we look at Peloton, look at that, they have 8000 customers for um, or I'm sorry, 8000 on-demand episodes, 4.4 million users. And they even say in their videos that, listen, like us being available in the morning when they get on their bike is an experience to let them know we're available. How do we consolidate all that information? Because in between that is process pain, or maybe not pain, but like their processes and how we can understand that and the business use case and the impact they're trying to drive, right? So when you can gain everything from what they're researching on the web to looking at if they came to our website and some of these more qualitative matters, such as doing a little bit of exercise based on ICP and how we're adding value, you now have this plethora of data. And instead of saying, hello, we help secure your workloads, we're saying we're helping your customers have the best exercise experience that they can have without being disrupted. That is a much better message than that of going, well, we help do that, 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 right? So that's how we do enablement and how we kind of gather data to really, really hone in on our ICP. And then second part to answer your question is, now we're handing that data over. Now we actually, as a matter of fact, full circle, now that we have this account-based score, here's the thing, that phone call, cold call, or email exchange, that's just another data source within that account score. That's what we're sending over to our AEs. Mm. And is that done all in Salesforce, right? You have just you know, on the opportunity record. Yeah. Um, so right now we're doing as much as we can, of course, on Salesforce. And some of it still has to be a little manual, a little bit on spreadsheets here and there. But ultimately, you know, we're delivering that kind of like that 360 view of the customer mm -hmm. based on all those data points. Nice. Kind of like full circle to what you were saying before. Yeah. Awesome. There are some tools we've been looking at, uh, Scratchpad and Dooley. And yeah. uh, they're, mm -hmm. they're cool systems. Check them out. Shout out to those folks out there. Puglia Shout out to Ryan Scalera. <laughs> yeah, Ryan. Ryan's over at Dooley. Mark Young. Um, I know uh, Young, yeah, over there. Man. Yeah, right. Oh, Mark. Oh, yeah. Mark's awesome. Mark's He's uh, yeah. We were just chatting. He was on the show, uh, one of our other shows uh, called the Product Led Revenue. So it's mostly marketers on that show. But uh, yeah, love those folks. And yeah, so there are a lot of really cool tools that I think will allow you to streamline the data entry. Uh, you know, piece of the strategy or motion without having to log in and deal with all the craziness inside of Salesforce. You know, yeah. if you were to think about the, how the buyer's journey or process has changed over the last couple of years since you've been in the space, I know, 
you know, we sort of alluded to this product led, but if we unpack that a little more, anything yeah. else that, that sort of uh, comes to mind? Yeah, a couple of things, right? I mean, I've, you know, nothing, nothing like too profound, but these are things that I think I've heard analyst reports and now I'm experiencing for myself and it's very true to me, right? Um, one, first and foremost, uh, there's this thing called Google and information is just there for you, right? And I think even down to kids now have smartphones, data is just way more accessible more than ever. And it's just increasing more and more, right? And with that, you know, it's easy to, to grab that data and understand things for yourself. Um, and that's how buyers want to buy now, right? I think one of the biggest lessons, I'm a professional seller. My wife, I always joke, is a professional buyer because she likes buying things. <laughs> so I always see her journey in buying things from like West Elm and anthropology. And I'm intrigued by how she does things and how she's targeted. And I learn a lot from that. So that's what comes to mind when I think about access to information really at your fingertips through an app or a phone. Second thing is, you know, brands. Like again, B2C is somewhere... Um, B2C is where we picked up, right? They always say like we're about, B2B is always about five to seven years, you know, uh, behind, right? In some regard. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of different brands that make it like the way that I, it's, it's back then it used to be, you know, back, let's, let's little history lesson, right? Back in the day, the way you gain information. So cool plug to Philadelphia. If you live in Philly, there's four parks and the way that the parks are positioned, it's just like a 90 degree angle around the city and people would go to these parks and there were these philosophers and back then philosophers made money, believe it or not. <laughs> and what they did was uh, the way that they gained news or learned about politics was to talk to these people and ask them questions like, Hey, what is a governor? What is a politician? What's going on in the news? They would pay for knowledge. Right. Um, so that's how people, that's how people learned and gained data and information. Fast forward years and years later, um, there's multiple and various ways of this philosopher at the park. There's different ways to learn video, audio, like, you know, between like a clubhouse, there's just different experiences that people learn. So if my point is, if you take one narrow approach to outreach in the buyer journey, it's probably going to get thrown away. And that's why you have to mm -hmm. stay creative because people are constantly learning different and unique ways to engage direct mail, VR, et cetera. I'm not saying do everything. All I'm saying is be mindful that the buyers are thinking like this. Uh, second. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, that's a great point. Like you can't just focus on one channel anymore. You can't, you can't. And, you know, and then now there's, you know, going back to data, like there's CISO data, there's, you know, we target CISOs, uh, information security officers, and there's this data around the way that they buy. Uh, we saw an analyst report, 80% of how they buy is through referrals, through back channel mm -hmm. Slack communities, et cetera, rarely through, you know, insert traditional methods. And that's like them just talking to their peers, like, you know, like that's just the reality. The final thing I'm going to mention is that, um, you know, we know this data, like um, insert the Forrester Gartner quote here, 5.7 decision makers within a buying committee. And that's just true. Like what we're noticing is that the C-level and VPs, they're not the ones that are just solely the decision makers anymore. Now they're routing it down mm. to their end users and their SMEs, et cetera. And so it's no longer just this like one-to-one -one relationship. It's now a lot more dynamic in the way that multiple end users, champions, et cetera, are being engaged. And that's, that's also a different way that the buyer journey has shifted. Yeah. I think it's also an evolution of leadership style. Like back in the day, it was like, all right, you know, the VP, Linda, whatever, Smith, she makes all decisions. You just give it to her and she'll say yay or nay. Now I think like 
the millennials are quite different. They want to be involved. I think I'm like a hybrid millennial 81. I don't know if that's qualifies me, but, uh, but, you know, so I think that's also like a leadership change. Like for me, I, I make it an issue to a strong, like important issue to empower the team. Right. I, you know, ultimately they're going to be the ones who are going to be using the tool on a daily basis. So if they feel like they were pushed into it or manipulated, or maybe they're, you know, sort of maybe incentivized somehow to use the tool. I don't know that that's a good thing. Although we all get sort of forced to use Salesforce, but now, you know, but there is now a reason why all these tools around it are popping up. Right. So now you know why that sort of, uh, you know, has, has emerged. Speaking of outreach, is email dead? Like, I'm not sure. I, I, I haven't been doing prospecting in a long time, but the last time I did, I just got like just awful response rates. No, email's not dead. I think the data um, is, uh, I don't know if skewed is the right word, but I think COVID definitely jacked up the number of emails folks received. Not to mention that there's a lot of sellers that are used to being in the field and doing a lot of conducting business um, through events and shaking hands. Now you take those folks that aren't, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, those folks are not traditionally used to emailing. Now they're jumping in. So imagine the first time you sent an email, that's what's happening. It's just getting blown up. But mm-hmm. email's not dead. I think there's a lot of great ways to cut through the noise. But I think there's also something to be said about just being more realistic and not just mm-hmm. a half glass full mm-hmm. guy. You know, uh, more enterprise companies, they have more aggressive email filters and that's just the reality, mm-hmm. right? And so I think it's it's being mindful. It's being, um, I, I know that there's ways that our team has shown value to a account uh, before. And at first they had us on our, not a blacklist, but they just cut out any vendors and then they flipped us on to be able to engage with them. So that mm-hmm. just goes to show like there's email filters and they're fairly aggressive and, uh, but yeah, email is definitely not dead. Uh, definitely uh, still one of our primary channels of, you know, conversion. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, full circle. It's less about the one specific channel, but more of this holistic approach and, and value, whether that be product led or just in our general sentiment. So if you were to have to answer a statement or provide a statement around what SDRs should be doing around outbound in 2021, what would that sort of statement be? Yeah. Um, going back to, you know, add, adding value, right? Again, that sounds so cliche, but what I mean by that is stop giving them information. One, stop templating, stop looking mechanical. One quick pro tip here, and it's so simple. When you read your copy, do you think something or do you feel something? If you think something, you got it wrong, right? You got to feel something, right? Mm. People buy, people make decisions emotionally, they justify it rationally. So a little pro tip there, right? And so you, you got to be adding value in that way. Don't just put things that they could find on the internet, kind of like full circle to what we're talking about here um, and, and being able to provide those stories. That's why in our enablement, I'm so obsessed with enabling our sellers to know how our personas buy and more, most importantly, what problems they solve for them. What was their current state and how did we help them to get to their future state? And by having that data between why they bought and you know what metrics they care about and the pain points, that's how we tell that story. One last note that I'm gonna mention is, you know, I think sales development leadership and just SDR in general, it's kind of, it's evolving. I think 2.0 looks like this, right, to me. It's, it's I think sales development and sales development leadership is, is, is like digital marketing and that it's all about prioritization. 
It's also a lot like product marketing because it's an absolute obsession over their process, persona, and their pain points, speaking their language. Again, at my company, we provide production Linux workload protection, but that's way different than when uh, an actual you know, a prospect says to me, you know, I, I need something that's less of a performance hog and they're going to help me keep my availability up and limit false positives. That's a, comp- like, I want to learn how to talk like that. And you gain that from, from a feedback loop of data from, you know, cold call to disco to meeting to demo to et cetera. You need to have that feedback, you know, feedback loop of data within your revenue organization. But I'm really, really obsessed with this concept of product marketing as an, uh, as a, as a, as a partner to sales development because it enables um, sellers and individual contributors to really understand the, the, the prospect and persona. And lastly, uh, sales development and sales development leadership is like sales and that it's all about logical next steps. So when you blend those three things together, I think that's how we're able to add value, right? Um, as opposed to just spraying. So that's kind of um, how I view things in that regard. Amazing, dude. Thank you so much. This was awesome. I want to respect yeah, your time. Fun. I know we're getting yeah. late here on a, uh, on a Friday, but if folks want to follow you on social media, learn more about Capsule Wave, maybe some career opportunities, or maybe perhaps the product, uh, what are some good URLs or channels to reach you? Yeah. So you can just find me on LinkedIn. There's only one of me that I've found so far, Gire Jang, G-U-I-R-A-E. Um, and you could probably find it in the uh, link. And then you can find us at capsulate.com. And um, pretty straightforward, but uh, love to connect around all things, you know, customer engagement and data. Um, I think product led is definitely a, a concept that we're chewing on. Love talking shop and, and, and SDR leadership. Uh, those are things that I'm very passionate about. So um, if you guys want to connect, that's, that's how you can reach me. Awesome. Kiri, have a great Friday and uh, hope to hope to meet you in person. Likewise. All right. This was fantastic. Uh, again, just knowing who's been on here, just honored to be here as well. And just honored by, you know, again, like you guys are doing something very, very special in the market. And, you know, like I said, I'm talking to some of your folks and other folks as well around product led and just very excited to be a part of this community. So great to meet you. Thank you so much. Have a great right, day. Man. Take care. Bye. Bye.